0: 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would, please. What we're going to do here on the fourth Sunday of the month is, uh, I don't know how long this will take, but we're going to go through the mysteries. There's seven mysteries in the Bible, and I'll show you here in just one second why we're going to go through these. Um, But we'll do this on the fourth Sunday of the month. I don't know. I have four of them ready to roll this this afternoon. And I don't know. We'll see how many we get through. But I want to take my time going through them. And so it might take a couple months, it might take four months, I don't know, but we'll, we'll just see how it plays out. But uh, I want to take you through these and let me show you why. Alright, right, First Corinthians 4 verse 1, it says, Let a man so account of us, as of the ministers of Christ. That's, a, oh, that's just a mouthful. <laughs> I mean, already right there, that's a mouthful. When you look at your pastor, what is he? How do you know you got the right church? What's the point? He said, you want to you account, let a man account of us. You're tallying it up. You're adding it up. You're looking at me and you're, and you're dissecting the details, right? Yeah. So what are you supposed to be looking for in a pastor? A minister of Christ. Yeah. Man, every single one of these guys, and I'll be selfish enough to say, starting with me, and every other guy that God is calling to preach or says they're called to preach, I think you should pray for him every day. Every day. I I mean, I want you to pray for me every single day. I want every one of you to find time to pray for me every day. And I mean that. Do you know why? Because if I'm supposed to be a minister of Christ, that is such a high calling and such an impossible thing for a man to do. And if the devil hates him and the world hates shepherds, Uh, you can imagine how much the devil would want to get in the way and stop what God wants to do and stop Jesus Christ being exalted. Some of these guys get called to preach and they start heading down that path and you would not believe the amount of resistance, the amount of problems, the amount of trouble, the amount of blockers that keep showing up and attacks that come just because they're like, okay, I'm selling out, I'm giving my life to what God wants me to do and I'm following that calling. And by the way, if you take that to yourself, you're taking strange fire. And God himself burns up those who take on strange fire. You don't. You offer the fire God has you to offer. So it's a real smart thing to slow down if you're feeling like you're called to preach and evaluate that. And give God time to make full proof of thy ministry, right? Give God time to prove it to you. I would rather you go slow and get in later than you should than rush it and get in too soon. And just because you're called to preach doesn't mean you've been enabled yet. The calling and the enabling are not the same thing at all. But anyways, it said, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. That is the purpose and the point of a preacher. His point is to minister Christ, the gospel of Christ to the lost, and then the growth in Jesus Christ and helping your personal relationship to the saved. That is a lifelong calling. Somebody's 84 years old and been saved since shortly after Noah came over on the ark, right? <laughs> and she said, I still sin and I still mess up and I'm still a work in progress. Uh, she told my wife and I that at the, at the kitchen table. She said, I don't, don't think just because I'm old that it's easy and that all the temptation's gone and all the sinning stops. Don't think just because I'm old it's over. It's still a struggle, but I'm trying. And she had no idea how much that helped me. I was like, okay, great. That's good. I got, if God gives me three score and ten, I got another 34 years of dealing with this. That's a good thing. That she's honest about it. That's a reality. Paul said the same thing. A wretched man that I am. So it's a wild thing that God would make a sinful man, a wretched man, a weak man, a base man, a minister of Christ. To help you. To help you do what he's doing. To help you try to walk with God. That's the point. And now here's what God tells them to do, and stewards I'm a steward. A steward doesn't own anything. A steward takes care of something that somebody else owns. So the call to preach is a high and lofty calling it it really you can't I don't think you can get a higher calling. I don't care if this church never outgrows where it is right now, and we just stay right here and never one more person ever joins the church. It would be a demotion for me to take. Uh, An election to the President of the United States of America. If I stepped out of this little pulpit. In this little building on Ten Mile Road. It'd be a demotion. Like, really? (laughs) I mean, nobody knows my name. I'm a nobody. I'm literally a nobody. I mean, even among the saved circles. Even among the Bible-believing circles. I'm a nobody. Like a nothing Like, even if a few people around the country know who I am, in the grand scheme of it, I'm like literally a nobody and a nothing. And it would be a demotion for me to become the president? That's how important this stuff is. Because God has a purpose, and that purpose is much bigger than you and I, and it goes off into eternity. It goes on through the millennial kingdom, off into eternity, future. It's a wild thought. And I'm going to show you, I know I stretched some of your minds the other day, so I'm going to repeat it again, and I'll show you when we get there as we go through Revelation. But before eternity future begins, it looks like there is literally tens of thousands of years that go on. Revelation's a little deeper than you thought. And so that's a pretty big thing that we're doing. And so I'm a steward. And now what am I a steward of? It's right there in the verse. Of the mysteries of God. Now the very definition of the word mystery tells you something. You can't figure it out. It's like the crime was committed. There's proof that it's there. Now figure out how it got done. And so you're combing over all the details like a detective and you're looking through it all and you're trying to prove it but you can't prove it because it's a mystery. And that's what a preacher is to be faithful with which is the mysteries of God. Now, I'll delve into that a little more here in a second, but look at verse number 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found extremely gifted, that a man know the original languages, that a man be a pastor-theologian, that a man have a high level of class, that a man understands the culture and meets the culture where the culture is and makes God relevant to the people. What's the, what's the requirement from God? That's it. God calls weak things. God calls base things. God calls highly educated apostle Paul's whose bodily presence is weak and speech is contemptible, and God calls highly capable, extremely professional fishermen, neck, outspoken, man's man, strong, big, leader, aggressive, Take comes in the room and takes over the room, man. I mean, some preachers walk in the room and literally take command of the room and don't even try to do it. Like, it's like, and, God, and God's called them. And other preachers walk in and nobody would recognize him, hunched over, overweight, bad body, not doing well, not in shape, struggling, not a great preacher, not extremely intellectual and get up in the pulpit and like, I heard an old man down there in, in Florida get up and, and just, he wasn't even rip snorting preaching and he just kind of gave his testimony about when he got saved. And what a bad dude he used to be and come to find out he used to be a bad dude now he's up in his 80's and you would never think he was any kind of a bad dude at all and man we just got up there and stood there and just basically talked I mean he didn't even rip snort and preach God was on it I was like wow God don't care about all the stuff people care about God ain't looking at how he does or doesn't dress as long as it's, it's pleasing to God you know what I mean long no, as it's not wrong I don't care about how much money he does or doesn't have, and God don't care about a man's intellect. You might be so smart, you know, everybody's, oh, he's so smart. So what? If he ain't faithful steward of the mysteries of God, if he ain't faithfully giving you what God gave him, he might not be able to prove it to you. You understand that? You know, some guys are great apologetics. Yeah, I kind of like that stuff. I kind of enjoy it. I like a good debate, I really do. And I'm not even necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer, but my, my mind starts running, boy. I mean, when I'm in a debate, I, I start running. I start thinking like jujitsu. I start looking at two steps ahead, and if I say this, he's going to say that. And if I go there, he's going to go there. And I like knowing, when it comes to stuff about the Bible, I like knowing where they're going to go before they even start. Yeah. I love it. I love it when you guys ask me questions. It just charges me up, And it's not because you're not doing it to fight with me and debate me, okay? That I can't stand when it's my church family. It's thinking, I'm not impressed. If you catch me making a mistake, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm human and everybody does. And I never claim to be infallible. I told you the Bible. I'm trying to learn, teach, and preach is infallible. God no, don't care about none of that stuff. I like it. I kind of like that stuff. There's a temptation if you're called to preach. There's a temptation to get heady and high-minded. The more you study the Bible, the more you tend to get in over your head. David said, I will not exercise myself after things that are too high for me. The more you study the Bible and you find the deep things of God and the exciting things and the meat of the Word of God, the more exciting it gets. I mean, it's really cool stuff. You start delving into eschatology and looking at end times things, and you look at the world and how the news lines up with it and start running the history on some of that stuff, and you start getting into some of the cults and some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and the conspiracy theories and all. That's exciting stuff, man. I mean, sons of God, daughters of men, they know blood-sucking angels in the Old Testament. And that stuff's all out there. The sons of God is the godly line of Seth. Uh, godly line, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, the godly line versus the ungodly line. Hogwash. You watch the godly line of the Messiah, and there's whores in there. There's murderers in there. That There's some wicked, ungodly people in the godly line of Jesus. How about that? There's Gentiles worked in there. They say it's the Godly line versus the ungodly line. That's stuffs exciting, man. We start studying out who the sons of God are. Yeah. You know what it doesn't do? It doesn't make you a better preacher. And it doesn't make you a minister of Christ. And it doesn't help one woman who's a single mom trying to raise kids. One young man stay clean and pure. It doesn't help one marriage that's been struggling stay together. It doesn't help one old person find comfort in the Holy Spirit of God as they're fixing to wrap up the end of their life. The most important thing is not being a know-it-all. The most important thing is being faithful. I don't care how good you can play an instrument. I don't care. It's like, it's like neither here nor there to me. In the grand scheme of things, when I think about, okay, well, this person's so gifted to play or so gifted to sing or so gifted to preach or anything else, so what? You know how many, you know how many thousands of men have come before you and been better preachers than you are? And if the Lord tarries, you know how many thousands are going to come after you and out-preach you? I could care less. You know how many people have been able to out-sing you? Even if you walk in here and just absolutely floor everybody with your unbelievable talent, You are a big fish in a small pond. I figured that out in high school. I used to get so mad at guys walking around a Christian high school acting like they're so cotton-picking cool and making fun of me because I was a dork. And I remember saying it to them when I was a kid. Yeah, you think you're a tough guy. You think you're so cool because you're strutting around this little Christian school with a couple hundred kids in the high school. And you think you're the man because you're walking around here cool. Why don't you go be a man in the real world over there and see whether or not you're that cool when you go into public school, idiot. I remember saying that stuff in the hallway. You're literally getting into fights over it. Can't stand big fish in small ponds. So great. Maybe God did give you some talent. And by the way, ain't it a blessing when somebody gets on the piano and uses their talent for God? Ain't it a blessing when somebody can lead songs and sing? Ain't it a blessing when somebody sings a special and can carry a tune in a bucket? I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying what's more important than that is maybe you're not as good as somebody else, but I know you'll be there. I know you'll be at church. I know you'll be on time. I know you'll be ahead of time. So I'm not stressing it two minutes till whether or not we have a piano player or a song leader or a preacher or whatever else. I'm not panicking. Like, I know you'll be there. Faithfulness. I'm telling you, it is absolutely priceless to know I can count on you. And you know what God wants from me and what you should want from your preacher? You should know I'm faithful. That's it. Faithful with what? The mysteries are gone. So these mysteries are not necessarily something I'm going to try to prove to you. I'm just going to tell you what they are. I don't care to try to prove it to you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Talking about the importance of faithfulness right now. 2 Timothy 2, 2. He says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So Timothy had been taught some stuff. And, and the main teacher had been Paul. That had been the man that God had given to teach Timothy. And he said, you've heard him. And, and there's, by the way, there's a whole lot of witnesses that say, yeah, what he says is right. And they agree to that doctrine. He said, the same, what? What you heard from me. The same commit thou to faithful men. Why? Because if you'll commit it to faithful men. He didn't say gifted men. He didn't say find the smartest guy in the room. He didn't say, find the man of the people. I ain't trying to be a man of the people. I met preachers like that. I don't think they're God-called preachers when you're a man of the people. <laughs> what is that? That's a politician. I'm not a man of the people. I want to be a man of God. That's what I want to be. I want to be able to be a minister of Christ, and i got to get to know Him and His Word in order to minister to Him to you. I can't, I can't minister Him to you if I'm not of Him. I love you. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to say that it's okay to be crude and crass and uneducated and ignorant. I'm saying that that stuff, since we value it so highly in this society, I'm trying to show you that God doesn't necessarily value all that the same way you do. He values faithfulness. He says the same commit thou to faithful men. Why? Because when you give it to a man that's faithful, and he's faithful to God, and he's faithful to the truth, and that's what he cares about in life is not the short-term Kickback, the short-term, uh, 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 short-term gratification, instead of short-term gratification or instant gratification, he's all about delayed gratification, and that means if we got to delay it till after I die, after I die, if we got to delay it and wait till the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, then I'm willing to go ahead and be faithful with what God's entrusted to me, so that when I get to Christ, when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I can be counted faithful. He said, Commit it to faithful men. Why? So that they can teach others also. Faithfulness is important in God's economy. Uh, Look at Proverbs chapter 20. I'm still on this thing of faithfulness. It's very important for you to understand this. It's very important. I'll tell you why this church is growing, in my opinion, one one of the pieces. Obviously, it's God. Amen, amen, amen. It's God. But God will bless and grow a church if He finds faithful people in it. You can't, we can't grow a church with people that blow in and blow out and blow in and blow out and blow in and blow out. You got to get in. You got to sit down. You got to get committed. You got to stay, whether there's anything in it for you or not, because that's where God wants you to be. And faithfulness is extremely important. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Proverbs 20, verse 6 most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Most men will come in and tell you all about their gifts, talents, and abilities. Most men will tell you what they can do. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked through the door, and I mean literally looked me in the face and said, God sent me here to sing. Because I am a singer, and I've been a blessing to lots of churches, and that's the gift the Holy Ghost has given me, and I'm here to bless this church with my musical abilities. My line now is, all right, I'll tell you what, you tell God to tell me, and as soon as God tells me, then I'll do it. Until then, have a seat. We got singers. I know you can outdo him, but I like to hear him sing because he's here every week. I like to hear him sing because he's on the cleaning schedule and he's out in the parking lot and he's teaching Sunday school and he's preaching in the nursing homes. and he, That's why I like to hear him sing. I don't know who you are, you showboat. We're not impressed. We're pretty impressed with Jesus, aren't we? Ain't the Lord great? Ain't it a blessing when God puts people in here to minister to us? Amen, man. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm talking about the motive behind it. talking about the character. It's more important about your character than any other qualification you got. It's character. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. What's the the best thing about you, brother? Tell me the best thing about you. Oh, you can count on me. (laughs) Where is that the answer? What's your qualifications? I'll be here. I tell my kids to do that on a job interview. I say, you look them straight in the face, and you say, when I'm on the schedule, I'll be here to work, on time, every time. You can count on me. And if I can't make it, I will let you know if I'm sick, I'll make sure that I call in, and I'll make sure that I get ahead of it. Faithfulness. Look at Proverbs chapter 25. Confidence, 19, sorry, 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a t- in time of trouble. Is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. What good is a guy if he's got all the talent, skills, and abilities that you need in a bad moment if he doesn't show up? What good is it? Well, where were you, man? <laughs> well, I could have. Well, well, you weren't here. Why didn't you call me? Because you weren't here. <laughs> you weren't here. I'm not going to call you if you're not here. And somebody else is here. I don't care if they're not as good at it as you are. They were here. Hello? All right, look at Proverbs 28.20. You know what? I'll tell you what I like about this in just a second. Proverbs 28.20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. You know what I like about this subject of faithfulness? I can do that. I can do it. I can just keep showing up. I can go home. I can be faithful to my wife. I can be faithful to my kids. I can come back to church. I can be faithfully back in my pulpit. I can go back home. I can be faithful to study, prepare, get ready, answer my phone, do what I got to do, take care of the things I got to take care of, come back to church. I can do it. Anybody can do it. I mean, you need God's help to get through some moments, but you gotta, anybody can do it. It doesn't take some kind of an outstanding gift or ability or some kind of a unbelievable level of IQ or some kind of unbelievable athletic prowess or any kind of superior strength or you know, like off-the-charts good looks or anything else. It's just a matter of just sticking it out. Anybody can do it. And if you'll do it, he said, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. I've seen flash in the pans in the ministry. I've seen guys that get into the, into the ministry and they just get so obsessed with promoting themselves and getting themselves going that they get their ministry going faster than God's going it, running it. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and I had to come to a point in my life in ministry where I had to make some decisions. I had to get up and say we're canceling all these extra ministries that we have that I started or that other people pushed me to start because they wanted something to do in the church and I started it to give them opportunities to do something. We're cutting all this fat off and we're getting back to the basics of what God has us to do. And it was humiliating and embarrassing and frustrating and I felt like a quitter and a loser and it was horrible. But God wasn't in it. I was trying to push the church to grow. Got the t-shirt. I've seen a lot of guys do it. But that, that don't make God in it. He said, What's required of you is you be found faithful. What's required of you is you be faithful with the mysteries that I give you. So go to 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. So I've got to show you something about these mysteries, and then we'll get into at least one of them, which will be pretty easy to get through and make sense out of. I'm hoping to get to the first two. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Good question. Where is the scribe? Good question. Where is the disputer of this world? There's your apologetics, your debater. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This world's got some wisdom to it. God's made it foolish. And boy, you haven't seen it come out more than you've seen it come out in the last, uh, I'd say, two years. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about the wisdom of this world. God's exposed it like never before. It was a long time coming. It was a big buildup with all this atheism stuff and getting God out and the theory of evolution and all the rest of that. And now all of a sudden, man, folks, I'm telling you, if you're not a witness, you're missing a golden opportunity, especially with the younger generation. I'm talking teenagers into their early 20s, maybe 30 years old. You're missing a golden opportunity. I mean it, man, like you would not believe. You can figure it out real quick whether or not you got a chance with this kid or not. Because they're seeing it. It's common sense. They've talked all about science, 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 and now they're throwing science away and by faith saying you can be whatever you think you are. Yeah. And anybody that's got a brain still and has any level of a heart at all for truth or for God is seeing it. God has made the wisdom of this world look Foolish. It looks so stupid right now to talk about evolution. Even their own uh, uh, defenders or debaters or those that would give their apologetics for it have to admit there's huge dark holes in their understanding of what they've developed. Right. God's made it foolish. So now when you have faith in God, you don't look nearly as stupid as some of them do when they got faith in there not being a god. Oh, we can't prove what we have. Well, there's some mysteries that you can't necessarily prove, but the evidence that you have and, and the backing that you have and the science that you have stands way more to reason than anything the other side has. God's made it foolish. It is stupid. And I'll say it, take it another step and put it into the church now. This argument about having to have the originals, because we believe the Word of God was originally inspired, but we don't believe that the the copies and translations are inspired, but the originals were inspired. That argument for the pastor-theologian, that big-headed argument, delve into the originals, gentlemen, so you can know the Word of God and, and make sure that you're searching these things out so you can give your people the truth. That same argument is falling just like the argument for evolution is falling. A bunch of people bit at that thing for a while. But the honest truth is, nobody has originals. Not even if you're studying the, quote, originals, unquote. They're studying copies of copies of copies of copies that got passed down, and they're putting their faith in those languages that are not dead languages, by the way. And the Word of God's not dead, it's alive. They're putting their faith in dead languages, and they cannot prove their argument to say that the originals were inspired, but this isn't. And the more you study the evidence you have in front of you, the more you begin to realize that the Bible, the English Bible, the King James Bible, is the perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired, and preserved. Well, are you inspiration or preservation? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Word of God. Yeah. There's no question about it, folks. I, I don't believe in this limp-wristed God that the pastor theologians believe in. I'm sorry. If he's powerful enough to inspire his book... Bring it down from eternity and put it in Hebrew. Bring it down from eternity and put it in Greek. If he can do that, he can't preserve it from this generation forever like he said he would. He can't give you a perfect Bible. Come on, man. The originals aren't anywhere in existence today. They didn't have the technology developed to preserve the paper and ink. God always destroys the originals. Where's the ark? Where's the original Ten Commandments? Why do you think God destroys them? To show you something. (laughs) And to make you have confidence that He can work in your day and your time, and He gave you His perfect words. It's right there in your lap. So they get into all this lofty and heady garbage, just Yahweh, the original name of God, this is Yahweh. It, like, means nothing. Like, okay, why don't you just say God, because that's what we understand. You sound super intelligent, but that's not according to this Bible. That doesn't fit. Where's the wise? Where's the disputer? God's made foolish the wisdom of this world. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, in his wisdom. Think about it. So God's so far out ahead of us on this chessboard that what he decided is that in his wisdom, he's going to make sure that the world by wisdom won't know him. He's literally messing with their minds for the purpose of getting to their hearts. (laughs) Now watch. It pleased God by the foolishness of (gasps) to save them that believe. Now, steward, be faithful with my mysteries. And just so you know, in my wisdom, I made sure their wisdom won't cut it. And I'm making a fool out of you. Paul said, we are fools for Christ's sake. You know what they taught me in Bible college when we were going to the originals? They ran to the originals to tell you that this, the foolishness is not the preacher. The foolishness is the message. That's what they told us in Greek class. When you study the Greek and delve into here, you find out that you're not the fool. The message is the fool. It's a foolish message to this world. They don't want to receive our foolish message of Christ. Well, it's a foolishness of. How many people have you brought to this church or you seen come to this church and just say, well, I just don't know why. Why does he yell? And why does he? I just don't get it. I don't get it. Why does he come across that way? Because you're in post-Christian America. Because you're in post-biblical America. Because you're in a day and age where preaching is no longer the thing when you go to church. And we've stopped preaching altogether. And now we've become those, like I talked about this morning, that made a deal with the devil. We've intermingled with the world. We brought the world's music into the church. We brought the world's style into the church. We brought psychology into the pulpits. And in the counseling sessions, guess what it's become? Psychology. Well, guess what? That's why a lot of people don't counsel with me, and when they do, they don't come back very often, because we ain't playing psychology games with your head. I, that's above my pay grade. The president makes a lot more money than I do. It's above my pay grade, but it would be a demotion for me to go ahead and play psychologist with your head. I'm not an idiot. I might be, I might be dumb, but I ain't a fool. <laughs> It's biblical, that's what we'll do. We'll talk about the Bible. You want to come in and talk Bible? If you want to find an excuse to do wrong, go to a psychologist. What they'll do is delve into your past and they'll dig up everything that's ever bothered you and everything that anybody's ever done wrong to you, and they'll find all kinds of excuses to give you the answer you already want. They'll get you to birth everything that's all the way back there, rather than say, "Well, why don't you just get better and not bitter? Aren't you repenting your bitterness?" You can't go back and change what they did to you, but you sure can change your attitude toward it. And You can give it to God. Give Him your pain and get it right with Him and stop being an idiot. Hey, if you're 20, 30, 40 years old, you can't blame your mom and daddy anymore. It's you and God. And you can't blame circumstances anymore. It's you and God. Well, that's biblical pastoral counseling. I don't really want that. Well, good, you're saving my time. But if you want what God, what God has to say about it, I'll do everything I can to help you and comfort you and all the rest of that stuff. But ain't, we ain't playing the world's wisdom. It's the foolishness of preaching. So, yeah, I look like a fool sometimes. Good, as long as I'm faithful. Now, I had a guy say to me years ago, we were still in the storefront, and he had me come over, you know, because he wanted to talk to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He wanted to talk to me. And he comes across over and he sits down in front of me and he is super nice to me in front of everybody at church, you know. And and he got in the house and I'm sitting on his couch and he actually pulls a chair up in front of me and sits down like this in front of me. He's looking at me right in the face. And I'm like, Okay. And he's like, Have you ever watched a video yourself? I said, No. Well, you should. See, back in that day, there wasn't a bunch of, this is like 15 years ago. We weren't doing selfies all the time, right? 15 years ago, was that the thing? With social media and all this stuff, and videos of yourself, and posting stuff about yourself and everything. If you're a guy and you're doing that stuff, I mean, I, anyways. Look at me. No. I said, no? He's like, when you're preaching, the veins in your neck are popping out. Why are you staring at the veins in my neck, you weirdo? You're spitting. Your eyes look wild. I said, "Okay." You need to be more professional if you want your church to grow. I said, "Well, let me tell you something." I was 31 years old. I said, "Well, let me tell you something." You're never gonna walk into my church and tell me how to preach. God's the one that called me, and if I look foolish to you, God said I'm supposed to look foolish. So, don't even come back if you're going to try to control the way I preach because you're not telling me how to preach. And that ended that nice little pastoral house visit. Got up and walked out. Now, I'd be a little nicer about it nowadays, but he'd get the same message. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. I'm going to show you some mysteries that are foolish. I'm going to show you some crazy stuff. And guess what it is? What I'm going to give you is wisdom. It's not my wisdom. It's not your wisdom. I'm telling you it's wisdom because it's what God did. And you don't want to turn it away. Look at chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4.10. You see, this is what got me in trouble at at Bible college when they said it's not the message that's the preacher that's a fool. It's the message. Professor, and I won't say his name, he's in heaven now. Professor, well, what about chapter 4, verse 10? Young man! Mm. I was like getting all upset and mad at me. I mean, you could see, the. I knew when I got him because the red would start here in his collar and it would work its way up like that and just completely go up to his head. I'm, I'm not joking. He would just have this thing about him where that blood pressure would rise and he'd just it, it turn red just like that and go right up. And he he'd see me in my office after class. Okay. 1 Corinthians 4.10 We are fools for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh no, it's not me, it's the message. Because I'm a pastor theologian. I didn't say pastors shouldn't study to show themselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I didn't say that, that, uh, that much study isn't a weariness of the flesh, and that God doesn't call a pastor to much study. I didn't say a pastor should be stupid. Some of the most brilliant men that ever have been in the the world have been in pulpits, believe it or not. I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'm telling you some of the most brilliant men ever on this planet preached the Bible and taught the Bible. And God used their intellect. And it's rare because God usually chooses the weak things. Didn't I tell you that at the beginning? doesn't matter. When God puts it on a guy, then that's that. That's the fire God wants him to offer. And God will breathe on it. And something gets done. It's supernatural. But some of the most brilliant men ever have been in the pulpits and preached and taught. I'm not saying we should be stupid. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to be smart. I like it. I enjoy it. I like God teaching me. But I'm telling you this much, you never start getting to where you rely on your intellect. Ever. Or start bragging about how smart you are, or thinking you're smart, or thinking that you're all that. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. I've seen guys that weren't even that way once they get called to preach, start getting heady and high-minded, and God's gone. God's out of there. God's done. Paul was a brilliant individual. And he said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. That's the reality of ministry. People despise a preacher. I'm not kidding you. They despise him. When they need help, he's the first one they come running to. (laughs) And what does he do? He strengthens them. But he's despised by the world. He's despised by despised by the devil, and he's weak. Can't believe how strong you are. (laughs) Then that's God stepping in. Because the reality is, the ministry is weakness. So that you can strengthen other people, you purposefully put yourself in a position of being weak and being a servant and being broke down and being beat up and taking it like a man, so you can help strengthen other people, and being a fool. When you could go and pursue some kind of other career. Listen, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want you getting caught up in their foolishness. 1 Timothy chapter 3. But there's some preachers out there that became pretty successful in a ministerial standpoint. And I don't agree with all their doctrine. That's why I won't say their name. But they were on a different course with their life. I'll just put it that way. A course that would have made them rich. And well-known and instead of continuing that course, they did the best that they knew how, even though their doctrine was messed up. That's why I won't say their names. Their doctrine was messed up, but they did the best they knew how, and they laid down the things of this world in order to follow a ministerial calling. Brilliant men. That became fools, when they could have been highly esteemed in the world, and God did use them. God uses people, he don't agree with you. you do know that, right? First Timothy chapter three, the first mystery. Verse 16. So this stuff ain't necessarily anything I'm going to try to defend to you on an intellectual standpoint. I'm going to show you the scripture verses for it and give you the truth of these mysteries. And the first couple are, are, I think they're going to apply to you. I think they're going to help you. The first mystery is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. There's no debate in this. You're not going to be able to prove it. Prove to me that God created the world. Prove it. You can't, can you? You believe it, don't you? By faith. Sure does make sense when you work backwards, right? Makes a lot more sense than anything else. Prove it. No, it's a mystery. It is what it is, and how God does it's a miraculous thing. The mystery of godliness. Watch it. God was manifest in the flesh. It's a mystery. You can figure that out. You can figure out how God became man. Mary had a natural birth of a baby that was God. That means she changed his diapers. That means she fed him. That means she dressed him. That means she taught him to go to the bathroom. Are too real for you? That's a mind-boggling concept. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew like you did. And in favor with God and men. And he was God manifest in the flesh. And he was tempted at every point like as you are, yet without sin. Every temptation you've had, he had, and he didn't fall to it. Now you think about that for a minute. God walking into the room saying, Mommy, I'm hungry. God saying, Mama. Is that wild? That's wild. It's not nearly as wild as you are an ape. Swinging from a tree. They want to mock you for that stuff. Well, that's what I got my faith in. You say, explain it. I can't. If I could, I'd be God. Ain't it going to be great to get to heaven and get it all laid out for us? Because he's going to lay it out, boy. You're going to have a perfect mind. Until then, you better believe it or you'll go to hell. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Go back to John chapter 1. This is Emmanuel of the Old Testament, and you can write these references down for the sake of time. I took too much time talking about faithfulness. But you can write the references down, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Isaiah 8, 8 through 10. And it's Emmanuel, which is God with us. Those are prophecies of him. And in the first one, in Isaiah 7:14, it's about the first coming. And in the second one, it's about the second coming. He came the first time as a baby. He's coming back the second time. Excuse me, as a conquering king. John chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Not was a God. Like the new Bibles do. They stick an indefinite article in there. That's the New World Translation. Ah, you little, you sneaky thing. You've taken one, one... one letter A and you do away with the mystery of godliness the and same, the same was in the beginning with God, watch it, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made Jesus Christ is the creator in him was life where did you get your life from? Lost or saved, every human being on the planet. You like your dog? Anybody, you love your dog? Anybody got a doggie at home you love? Come on. It's all right. It's not, I'm not going to crack on you. I love my doggie, all right? Her doggie's become my doggie. Now it's our doggie. Amen. My doggie's gone. I lo- you guys love your cats? We'll pray for you. Sorry about that. <laughs> How many of you got any fish at home? Nobody in this church has fish? You got fish? You got fish? Okay. Turtles. Stop it, brother. We're not talking about cats right now. We're talking about fish. <laughs> He's going to get some Asian food. Um, how many of you, got, uh, you know, got snakes? Nobody with snakes or lizards? No, God bless you. You people are good people, man. Very few cats. Very few cats will be patient with you, Laodiceans, and, and uh, no snakes. Guess where all those things get their life from? How are they alive? He's life. <laughs> he created it all. So it's not a big deal if he tells you I became human. And the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Look down at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. It's that simple, folks. Jesus Christ is God. And God was manifest in the flesh. And died on the cross for your sins. Yeah. That's one of the mysteries that's required. It's required of a steward. That a man be found faithful with who Jesus Christ is. How can he be a minister of Christ if he's not faithful with the divinity of Jesus Christ and the fact that he became flesh and died for you and rose again the third day, that man's not a faithful man. So if he compromises that truth on any level, he's got the wrong spirit. He's fallen from faithfulness. I don't care if he's saved or not, or at one point was right or not. He's fallen from it. And God says it's required for you to be found faithful. You disqualified yourself from the ministry. No, not over divorce, over not being faithful to the mysteries. Look at the second mystery. It's wild how these go together. You're in John. Go to John chapter 17 first. I'll show you where this one came from. And I hope this helps you. John chapter 17, look at verse 21, and then I'll go show you the mystery in Colossians 1, 27. But this one's a good one. John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus Christ is praying. by the way, just so you know, Everybody tells you the Lord's Prayer is our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, it is in heaven, give this day our daily bread, and you know, all that stuff, right? They tell you that's the Lord's Prayer. And you'll get that at the little Christian bookstores, it'll say the Lord's Prayer, you'll buy your little thing says the Lord's Prayer, and that's it. That ain't the Lord's Prayer, you guys. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. It's the model prayer. It was him giving an example of how to pray. You can dissect the model prayer and figure out a pattern for prayer. But it's not a repetitive prayer of the Lord. The Lord's prayer is John 17. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane on his way to the cross. And he goes apart and he prays. And when he starts praying this prayer in John chapter 17, this was Jesus praying to his Father, pouring out his soul. And we don't have time to go through it all, but it's a great read. And what you'll read as you read through here is you'll find yourself in here. He says this, look at verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which also shall believe on me through their word. He said, Lord, I'm not just praying for the disciples. I'm praying for Mike Reagan who's going to believe on me when he reads Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's praying for you in John chapter 17. Ain't that a trip? Now watch what he prays. This is where the church come from. Watch what he prays that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now let me show you what mystery that is. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now, just give me a few more minutes here. I'll, I'll try not to be too long, but I'm going to hammer this point home, and then we'll go. I should be able to hammer it pretty quick. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 27. Now, this one's a mystery. This one blows my mind. I'm sorry. Start in verse 26. Colossians 1, 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages, from ages and from generations, but now, in this present time, is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that they may be one in us, as I am in thee and thou art in me, that they may be one in us. You know what he's praying for? He's praying for one body, he was praying for Christ in you. He was praying for eternal security. He tells you later in John 17, keep them through thy word, through thy name. We got eternal security. You know what you got inside of you if you're saved? Christ in you. You figure, could you figure that out? We understand the circumcision made without hands, right? Right? We get the, 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 the doctrine of it. We can study our Bibles out and figure out some stuff, but can you really figure out Christ dwelling in you? How many, how many hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the planet are born-again Christians? And Christ's in every one of them. And yet He's one, one body. Has any of you ever stopped to consider yourself for a minute? Your thoughts, your words, your deed. I mean, Mark chapter 7 tells you that out of, the, out, out of the heart proceedeth all this stuff, and he just goes through a whole bunch of wickedness coming out of the heart. Christ in you, he's in you. I, I, I can't honestly, to me, it just absolutely blows my mind sometimes. I'm walking around with him inside of me. Inside of me. Shame on me. How in the world does he put up with me? He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. He knows my deeds. He knows my motives. He knows stuff about me I don't even get. The longer I serve God, the more realize, I realize how sinful I am. And I'm not talking about like all the, all the simple stuff. Listen, the, 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 the cussing and the, and the drugs and the lustfulness and all that. That's child's play. You understand what I'm talking about? That's child's play. That's obvious stuff. There's so much more to holiness than just that. I mean, trying to get over having a critical spirit. Trying to have some forgiveness and mercy. Trying to let it go. Trying to make big stuff little. And, you know, I mean, like big people make big things little. Little people make little things big. That's great marriage counseling. Hello. You know how many people destroy their own marriage? I'm trying to be nice. I mean, just talking about the sinfulness of our human nature and he's in us. What a concept, man. What an amazing thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's run some of these references. I'll keep you close here in Paul's books. Ephesians chapter 4, because I think... If you can just really meditate on this thought, I think it'll help you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Christ in you, by His Spirit. Those three are one. You know why so many Christians are miserable people? They're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Got the t-shirt, I'm not harping on you. I'm telling you that sometimes my most miserable moments, when I'm the most just messed up in my head, God is grieved with me. You cannot, as a Christian, hear me out. You can no longer enjoy your sin. I don't care what kind of excuses you make for it. And I'm telling you, fellas. The devil knows how to play in your head and make excuses for sin. I'm telling you, ladies, the devil knows how to get in your head and tell you that you got a right to do wrong. He'll use Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the desk and heard somebody. Well, you know, abandonment is one of the reasons for divorce. Yeah. Your husband's still coming home every night, but he's abandoned me emotionally. What's the devil in your head is what that is? He likes to mess around in your head. No wonder you're miserable. You're grieving the Holy Spirit of God with your life. You know what you are as a saved person? You are a genuine schizo. You have multiple personality disorder. You got you that you're stuck with. And you got him in you. And the only way you're going to be happy is if you make him happy. And whenever you grieve him, you're miserable, man. You're a miserable human being. Some of the most wicked, evil, miserable, dark, bitter, nasty people I've ever met in my life are backslidden Christians. Nasty people. You know what they say? And I have never done anything to try to confirm it, and don't you either. Don't worry about it. God knows, and it's God's business, and there's no way to prove it one way or the other. They say Marilyn Manson's a born-again Christian, raised in a Baptist home, born again as a kid, went to Christian schools. That's not possible. Oh yeah, it is. If you know your doctrine. I mean, if you're a stinking Calvinist, then you're such a soup sandwich you can't figure none of that stuff out. But if you're a born again Christian and you understand the difference, it's totally possible. It explains why it's so miserable. Go to First Thessalonians chapter five. I don't know why we fight God. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I shake my head at myself sometimes. I'm not harping on you. I'm really trying hard not to harp on you. Have you noticed? I don't get it. I shake my head at myself sometimes. It's just literally, it's so pointless to, to push back on somebody who loves me, cares about me, wants to help me, wants to make me happy, promises to fill me with joy, and then I just grieve him. You know why sometimes you should come to church and I just haven't been getting anything out of it lately? Well, come to make him happy. Lord, I'm just going for you because, you know, that pastor, I don't get nothing from pastor, but it makes God happy. Show up. Amen. I'm sick of her. I'm sick of him. Well, it makes God happy when you stick it out, so stick it out. Be faithful, and you'll abound with blessings eventually. Go ahead, go ahead and don't do it God's way, knucklehead. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I care. I say it like I say it because I care, and I try to make you think. Go ahead and don't do it God's way, stupid. I mean, knuck, I mean, and see how that works out for you. Give it 10, 15, 20 years and see the fallout of your sin. I'm not saying it because I'm hateful. I'm trying to be mean or belittling. I'm saying it because I'm telling you, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. I want you to understand it ain't worth it. It's not worth it. He's in you and he promised to never leave you or forsake you. So why don't you just let him have his way? It'll work out. It'll work out. It's not easy, but it'll work out better. Yeah. I've got I to gotta tell you this. I'm sorry. I have wanted to quit more than once. This church. I, Pastor Reagan would never quit. <laughs> you don't know me like me and God know me. Yeah. I have gone home more than once and said I'm done. Are you glad I didn't quit? Yeah, yes, sir. I'm sure glad I didn't quit. It's yeah. more important to be faithful than it is to be a show off more important to let him him have his way than it is for you to buckle under the pressure in the moment and do it your way sin won't pay off it won't pay off it doesn't pay it doesn't satisfy mm-hmm. i'm promising you it doesn't satisfy just just don't be a fool 1thessalonians 5:19 quench not the spirit Don't put the fire out. You know what the Lord will do in you? He'll stir you up. And sometimes when he doesn't, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in me. Do you know sometimes I have to stir myself up? You know what I'm figuring out right now? That I, It's a new phase for me in the ministry and in my life and on every level. It's just a whole new phase. I can't even figure it out, but I'm figuring it out. You know what I mean? Amen. You know what I'm figuring out? major part of my preparation now is more than getting ready to preach like the techniques of getting ready to preach like getting it down and studying and running the references and laying it out right trying to make sure it you know follows a logical train of thought and is consistent to the text and all that stuff where to fit in the doctrine and write the dividing and i'm talking about like actually preparing me Sometimes I'm stirred up, man. I can't wait to preach. I mean, a passage will get on me on Monday. I'll start reading Psalm 107 tomorrow morning, maybe even tonight. I actually sometimes do it on Sunday night, start reading the next passage. And, man, sometimes it'll just jump, boy. Boom, it's just on me, and it's on me all week, and I'm raring to go. And other times, but by the way, when it gets like that, don't put it out. Don't put it out. That's so why I get up here and I start preaching, and I think I've got to be a little bit more. I'm not against being a little bit professional, right? I mean, I dress like I dress because I think it shows you how I feel about what I'm doing. It shows him some respect. It shows you some respect. It shows respect for the office and for the job. I think it's good. I don't plan on making it sloppy. I don't care what you wear to church. I'm doing this because it's serious to me. But, but sometimes, man, I get up there and say, man, i got to be careful. There's visitors here, and they don't understand, and they're expecting it. And then the Lord starts getting on me. I feel like when I, I evaluate it, I think about it because I listen to my critics because they'll, they'll help me. They don't love me. They'll hurt me. They don't care, and they'll tell the truth. People that love you will tell you what they think you want to hear because they love you, and they want you to be happy. And that's a wonderful thing. Don't try to change them. But your critics will hurt you. And I think about my critics, and I think about what they say. And then I get up there, and I'm like, and the Lord gets in it. I can't put that fire out. Sorry. I can't quench it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes i got to stir it up. Because he's in you. Colossians chapter (laughs) 3. Colossians chapter 3, almost done. I actually think we'll I think we'll stop here in Colossians chapter 3. I got a couple more but we'll stop. Look at verse 9. This one will make the point. Christ in you, right? Okay. So I said you got a you got a bipolar disorder, you got a multiple personality disorder, right? Here it is. But now you also put off all these: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. So races are out of the equation in church. So don't expect to be catered to because of your race and don't expect to be treated any differently or mistreated because of your race you mistreat somebody because of their race you have to deal with me it's their character it's their love for the Bible and their heart for the word of God that is all that matters to me it's all out the window according to the Bible but Christ is all and in all so the old man is still there and technically when you're saved you put him off You understand that? And what you've done is you put on Christ. But you have a daily decision to make. Actually, it's more than daily. Sometimes it's hour by hour. Sometimes it's moment by moment. Am I going to yield to the flesh, like we were talking about on Wednesday night? Or am I going to yield to the Spirit? And it's whichever way you lean is what runs the show. Look at at how you put on Christ. Watch it. Have put on the new man. Okay, so that's done. According to God, it's done. But what you got to do is you got to renew it, which is renewed. You got to keep it fresh like I talked about this morning. Don't get over your salvation. Folks, don't get over church. Don't get over Bible preaching. Don't let yourself get over it. Enjoy it. You know what happens to me every once in a blue moon? I'm bad about this. I wish it was more often. Every once in a blue moon, God just shows up in my prayer closet. And, man, it's like time will pass, and like, man, that was good. That's not often. Prayer is perspiration more than inspiration. But, man, sometimes God will show up, boy. You know what I try to do when that happens? I try to jump on that bandwagon. I'm like, Lord, it was good today. Make it good tomorrow. And I go in there expecting it. I'm looking for it. I try to renew it. I try to make it new again. I try to keep it going as long as I can. And then when it runs out, I try to be faithful <laughs> and keep at it because I'm supposed to. But it's renewed. Now watch this. Renewed how? And knowledge. After the image of him that created him. It's verse 10. You're supposed to be renewed in knowledge. You know what we're here doing this morning, this evening, afternoon, whatever it is? You know what we're doing? You know what Sunday's for? You know why a midweek bump? Because it renews your mind. You get to tune all that out and open up the Bible and get intensely into the scriptures and look at it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, intensely prepared and intensely delivered. And in, I mean, we're looking for that intensity, that excitement of the Spirit of God, God to show up, God to speak, God to move, to help reboot your system spiritually because Christ is in you. And if you're saved and you get in there and you get your mind focused on him and the Bible being taught to you, it helps wash you up and clean you up and straighten you up and get you back on track. It'll keep you going for God and keep conforming you over time into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what you're supposed to be doing. All right, that's the first two mysteries, the mystery of godliness and the mystery of Christ in you. And what a wild thing that second part of that thing is, man. That's just, to me... I just cannot believe that He's in me and that He doesn't leave me in spite of me. What a God. Figure it out. I can't. It's a mystery. It's a fact. If you're saved, and there it is, it's in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's still true if you're saved. (laughs) Even if you reject it, it's still in you. And you can run from it, but you can't hide, and the evidence of it will be true every time you mess up. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed.